Hello, and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Anna, and I'm happy to be joined by recurring guest Daniel Lima to talk about this one. Daniel, thanks for being here. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Well, I wish it was under better circumstances. Yeah, uh, we have a couple hours of our life we're never going to get back, because. Uh, mm. but we'll, we'll explain why that is. Uh, Anna is the newest movie from French director uh, Luc Besson. He it is his second, it's been a couple years since he last did a movie. He last did, uh, I guess, uh, Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets a couple years ago. That was a massive flop, but maybe more, a little more known for movies like Fifth Element and uh, uh, Professional and Lucy. So he's he's done a lot of things of uh, to varying degrees of success. Anna is our third movie in as many years about a Russian spy, a female Russian spy, that is, and it follows the story of our title character, Anna, but it jumps around a lot. It tells the story of how she is in an abusive relationship and is given a lifeline by a KGB operative named uh, Alex, played by Luke Evans, and uh, to go work for them, and then she ends up also getting involved with the Americans as well, played by Killian Murphy, even though I'm pretty sure he's, what, Irish, right? Um, yes. And uh, so he's playing an American, though, and uh, he, he ends up kind of getting his hooks in her, too. And she's kind of torn between two sides and is how is she going to kind of play this whole entire thing out and play both sides and um, be able to eventually kind of get out on the other side and be able to just live her life. Uh, if that sounds familiar, it's because, you know, last year we had Red Sparrow, which was about a uh, Russian operative played by Jennifer Lawrence, who is working for the KGB. And then she ends up having to uh, get involved with an American, played by Joe Edgerton. The year before that, uh, we had Atomic Blonde, where Charlie Theron was playing a Russian spy and was uh, working for the Russians, but then she was maybe also working for the United States, and maybe she was also working for the Russians, and you didn't know. So, Daniel, this is a, a, a type of movie we've seen a lot of the last few years, and mm-hmm. you were really excited to see this movie, though. So why is that, and uh, did this movie prove to be necessary? Well, the reason I was excited to see it was I saw the trailer and I thought, oh, they're just going to do like the Europa Corps version of a t- of a John Wick, you know, or, you know, Atomic Blonde. And I was like, you know, that I could see that working. You know, I, even though I haven't caught, kept up with Luc Besson's uh, directed films uh, since the two, since like, you know, for this millennia, uh, you know, he still has a he's still a guy with like some bona fides you know, behind him, uh, Leon the Professional, uh, Nikita, and even his produced stuff, you know, he's had some successes. He wrote Taxi back in, I think, the year 2000. Lockout is a movie that I think is even better than, uh, what was the movie that it was entirely ripping off? Uh, Escape from New York. Yeah, it's just Escape from New York, but in a space station, in a space prison. Uh, And that's a great movie, Nine Lives. One of the best movies of its year, you know, which I, yeah, I didn't realize that was a Europa Core movie either. Uh, but on the other hand, this is a guy who also, you know, is responsible for Taken and ruining the action genre for years before, you know, John Wick and The Raid helped salvage it. Uh, and he hasn't really made anything that people I didn't have. realize he wrote Taken. Okay. I'm... No, he didn't write Taken. Oh, wait, did he? Because uh, yeah, I, yeah I, he's the credited turnover on Taken. I'm looking at it now. Okay, yeah, I knew that that's a Europa Core movie, and it's the distillation of like his. It's like the perfect example of that Europa Core style. They're the ones who really pioneered that. Let's shoot action, really, really, like you know, shoot for coverage, 
let's uh, edit it really, really quickly so that you can't really tell what's going on, but it creates a feeling that there's a lot going on. It's damaging to action movies. And until, you know, John Wick came along, that was the norm because it was far cheaper for, you know, a studio to produce that sort of action movie. It's been well implemented in the past. Like he's responsible for, I believe he directed or wrote uh, District B-13, which was the free running movie that really introduced that concept into, you know, cinema, which, you know, solid movie. Anyways. He wrote The Transporter, too. So I guess we get to credit him for Jason Statham becoming a star. So that's a thing. That is a thing, yeah, to be fair. Well, if you're going to credit somebody, I suppose. You you, Guy, he was in Snatch, so if you want to. Guy Ritchie. Guy Ritchie's the one who, you know, cast him in his first role and discovered him and all that. Yeah, Transporter is like the lead thing, and that was a big movie. So uh, Yeah, fair enough. I, I, I honestly was like, I, I, I came into this a little more uh, blind as to most older Luc Besson stuff. It's interesting to see he had this like weird career where he wrote a ton of stuff after he like did a lot of directing early in the 90s um, and then kind of got back to directing in like the last like. Uh, seven or eight years uh but yeah so basically you liked some of the other movies and you thought you know what maybe i'll go see a fun action movie is that that was kind of your thinking right yeah i was hoping that maybe this would be the uh you know pulpy dumb fun version of atomic blonde um which is a movie that even though it has you know great action set pieces is too overly convoluted for its own good and you thought this might just be more of a let's go kick ass and have fun as opposed to whatever atomic bond tries to ultimately do that i think both you and i are in agreement on is maybe a little too much yeah so that's what i went in kind of hoping for the action that i saw in the trailer was you know a departure from that europa core style it's like oh clearly they're trying to shoot some decent action i'm i'm I'm, i was I had so you don't like the action in this movie? Because, I mean, I don't think either of us were huge fans of it, but the action wasn't really like – I mean, I, I enjoyed some of it still. Like that oh, was really I like one the, of my I li- problems, yeah. Yeah, I like the action. So where did it's it fall short for you that, then? Well, everything else. Okay. <laughs> every, basically every other area. Well, even that's not fair. So, you know, you have a uh, – the, the star is this model that Luc Besson discovered – uh, and decided to cast in his, you know, action movie. She's she's fine, although she does, Yeah, I don't know. I don't, yeah, I don't know her name, but uh, she's fine. Although it's a role that doesn't really ask too much from her. I could see her becoming like a fixture in action, I guess. But uh, even though she's clearly, you know, put in some work, you know, she you see her a lot in the choreography. There's still some obvious you know, cuts when they had to use a stunt double and, you know, she's not too great a presence in this movie, which considering the name of the movie is her character, I guess doesn't speak too highly of her. It's also like, if you're going to make a movie like this, like two years after Atomic Blonde comes out, like you don't want to like, you know, you don't want to like noticeably fall short in any way. And, but like, I guess he just wanted to like discover like a new European woman star and thought, I'll just go for it, even if she's no Charlize Theron. But you know, you got to know people are going to like make those kind of comparisons inevitably. Honestly, you're going to you're going to bring that upon yourself. Honestly, I think the fact that she is so good, uh, relatively, is, you know, kind of a kind of surprising because I'm I'm 95 sure that Luke Besson just said I want to see her have sex with a bunch of guys in my movie. Uh, we'll get it's to a, that. It's, it's empowering, Daniel. Yeah, she's wielding yeah, we'll her sexuality <laughs> as a weapon. Yeah, we'll get to that in a moment. But um, 
for its boons, I mean, it does look the part. I think that it's a pretty good-looking, you know, cheap action movie. Yeah, uh, it is pretty incredible that it was made for $30 million. Like, I would give it credit mm-hmm. for that. Like, he stretches a budget pretty well. And, you know, you've got a great cast. Isn't Helen Mirren the little Russian lady who's, like, her handler? Yeah, she is. Yeah, I didn't realize that. Okay. I knew Helen Mirren was in it, but I genuinely – also, I'm terrible with faces. But yeah, uh, she does great work. Cillian Murphy is always good. Uh, Luke Evans is there. <laughs> so, you know, like there's – the, the big failing of Anna, the greatest failing of Anna is how it's written. <laughs> how it's written. Okay, so Jesus. we should say like – I mean – by that, do you mean the dialogue? Do you mean the plotting and how it jumps all over the place or like all of the above plus some? Yeah, let's, let's go with all of the above. Okay. Um, well, here's the thing. So as an example, this movie begins with, you know, our main character being picked up off the street by like a, a talent agent for a, a modeling agency. She gets flown to Paris. She gets wined and dined. She's, you know, do we see her, you know, doing shows and all this uh she meets a guy you know they start dating they're dating for months one day she's at his place he tells her that she's he's like a criminal she goes into the bathroom comes out with a gun and blows him away now that's meant to seem like a big moment like a whoa she's actually not a model she's an assassin but here's the thing that's the entire point of this movie Everyone in the movie theater will know that this is a movie about an assassin. All that other stuff seems like filler to get to a point where the, you know, where Luc Besson can go, ha ha, see, I reveal what's actually going on. But we all already knew what was going on. And that's that's the thing. We have to to spend a lot of, burn a lot of calories, like getting back to that point. It's like, at that point where she puts the bullet in its head, it's like, all right, well, yeah, cool, let's go. She's an assassin. It's like, no, we're going to tell you how she became an assassin. Yes. This is a – I think our friend Josh Brown was the one who said uh, whenever a movie tells its plot in non-chronological order, it tends to be an indication that they don't have much of a story, and that's definitely the case here. Luke Besson wants to be able to say, oh, look, I put one over on the audience. I'm writing a whip-smart movie, but in actuality, it's all – like a smokescreen that basically anyone who's ever seen a movie before can see through that where the, the, the thing where like there's this big reveal that you already saw coming and then they go back to explain how they did the reveal, even though you already <laughs> as an educated moviegoer know how that reveal happened. It repeats itself over and over and over and over again. The movie is only, I think, barely two hours long, and it feels so much longer because you're retreading ground that you didn't need to retread. We don't need to see how she became an assassin, really. We don't need... uh, Every time there's like some revelation of, oh, she switched sides this time, but is she really? Every time that happens, I already know that... It, that the the seeds for that were born from the conversation that we got ten seconds of, and then it cut away to the next day. Like we can fill in the blanks because no, you know, we, we, we got to show you every step and hold your hand. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's stupid, and it is there only to inflate this uh, the runtime and to obscure the fact that it really is not a very smart movie. 
midway through it, I was thinking to myself, you know, even though I'm pretty hard on Atomic Blonde for being so convoluted and complex in its plotting, at least the reason it's so overly complex and convoluted and things are going on that I don't totally understand is because somebody went and put in the work of making a conspiracy that's wide ranging and complex and convoluted. Uh, Atomic Blonde, it just, I mean, Atomic Blonde, I apologize. Anna, Anna just is stupid. It's just stupid. It's a very dumb movie. It's a very dumbly plotted movie. And in a spy, you know, espionage thriller, that's a death sign. That's a, that's a death cow. Well, I mean, it's interesting that you kind of wanted to go to this, uh, talk about this specifically. I think there's, I mean, there's a little bit of a difference between, like, I guess, regular nonlinear f- uh, film, of, a regular nonlinear film, and something that just, like, kind of tells its plot non-chronologically. And, you know, I think with something that's regularly nonlinear, it can just kind of jump around and doesn't rely too much on a, a traditional story. And then something like this, it just takes a high degree of difficulty to kind of pull off, you know? I mean... Even Quentin Tarantino, I think, varies in his success with that kind of thing. You know, I, 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 you know, I, I, I don't think there's any bad Quentin Tarantino movie, but like, I think he pulls it off like a lot better in something like Pulp Fiction than he does in The Hateful Eight. You know, it, like I, I love the first half of The Hateful Eight, where it's just you're just kind of seeing all these personalities kind of clash, and then it kind of erupts into something, and then it's like it becomes evident what happened before the events of that first act that you spent the first half of that movie watching, but then it just like. I think the second half of the movie is really weak because it just like tells you, shows you a bunch of stuff that we already know is going to happen based on what was explained at the end of the first half. And he just, I don't, I just don't think it was pulled off as well. And you know, here it's just like it just wasn't really interesting to see any any gaps at all filled in. You know, it just hmm. it, it, we were we were just like retrotting all this ground, and it wasn't even like like you said, it wasn't an interesting conspiracy. It was just like. What's this? What's this woman gonna do? Like, there wasn't like any kind of. She wasn't having to really deal with any outside factors that were super interesting. It was just like the Americans want one thing, the Russians want another, and that that was basically it. It wasn't very much to it that warranted getting all weird with its storytelling. I would say. Right. It creates, uh, like, it's an attempt to create intrigue by just messing around with a story that's already not interesting, in the hopes that rearranging stuff will somehow make it interesting and you know it doesn't it's just you withholding that you know information from the audience in an attempt to make yourself seem smarter and it doesn't anyone can see through this movie anyone who has ever seen a movie or read a story or heard a story before in any way any medium will know what's coming so this was kind of distracting to have it done this way, but like, if this movie is just told in chronological order, would you like it? No, because okay. it's still a boring story. <laughs> it's still not interesting. It's just that doing it like this also makes it seem way, way stupider. Right. I can't disagree. I, I, I think I spent a, I just was just wondering for – and also we should say it, the movie starts out not even really on Anna. It starts out on the Killian Murphy character like having a bunch of his colleagues kind of murdered and one of them having one of them like a, a head sent to him in a box. And I, I get that I get that, that like kind of – I think I might have forgotten myself like – because they, they showed a couple different things where they jumped around like nine years earlier, five years later. And I think I might have like lost track in my head a little bit. But like I kept waiting for it to like tie back to that. I'm like this is a really big thing that just happened here. 
and I'm like, I'm like, wow, this event that they started the first five minutes of showing all these murders, like this is going to really play a key role in the plot going forward. So I'm waiting for like the entire first half of this movie, though, to just like figure out how this is all going to tie into whether it be the, the program for Anna or just something that the Russians were doing or just like I, I thought it was going to be like a big driving force. And I'm like waiting for it to just like kick into gear after we finish learning how Anna becomes a um, becomes an assassin i'm figuring it's all gonna tie into some larger interesting conspiracy but it's basically just boils down to a killian murphy throwaway line where he's like yeah i know the leadership train changed the kgb and lost a lot of good men one day and that was it and yeah i i I just don't think it was just very smart and how it kind of set that up to like make it seem like that was going to be like a a rather important thing that was going to tie into a bunch of other stuff and it was really just something that could have you could have you didn't have to have that entire first segment of the movie at all you could have just had him make that comment without having seen it at the beginning because i don't think it was ultimately important enough for us to like spend the opening minutes of the movie on it it adds literally nothing to the movie except I and, suppose and, 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 you know, a they're, motivation, they're, except I suppose a motivation for Silly and Murphy, which goes into the movie's other big How about the problems. fact that he's a guy that has a job? I mean, like, I don't really, <laughs> I, 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 I don't really care. But like, there's also like the woman during that opening sequence. There's that woman's like, I'm an American citizen, and well, please let me through. And I'm like, I, I kept thinking back to her because that made it seem like that was kind of a big deal. I don't know if she's the one whose head was delivered in the box or if that was someone else. I think it was. But I'm just like, man, this person must be like really important. Did like I. Like I miss her at some other point. Like, am I like is, is has she come up again? Like, have we referenced her? Like, it just like I don't know. It just like tried to. It felt like it was planting a bunch of seeds, but it really wasn't. And like, it's just a weird move. Yeah, like it's really just an attempt to, I suppose, humanize Celia Murphy. Which yeah goes into the other issue with that I have with this movie, and that's the politics. So. Uh, for those who don't know, Luc Besson was actually Me too I believe, last year. Multiple actresses stepped out, came out and accused him of everything from sexual harassment to outright rape. Right. And it, it that colors, you know, how I see his movies and his works. Like, I could probably never go back and revisit, what was it called, uh, Leon the Professional. Yeah, I mean, I even, even before that, he got the all the allegations that came out against him. Some people like already kind of thought that movie sexualized Natalie Portman too much. I don't actually yes. remember thinking Natalie Portman. Yeah, Natalie Portman herself said that she was uncomfortable with how that movie okay, uh, that's certainly, portrayed her. Uh, yeah, that's certainly how, good to know that she thinks that because that'll color my future viewing of it in a, a way that it should, yeah. sh- that, that it rightly should be. But I just I. You know, it's like some people already thought that and then that happens and it's like, well, this guy's super problematic, but he still gets to make like a big movie like this. And I'm just like, I I had that weighing on me the entire movie. I think I might have even I don't remember if I I think I knew at the time when all the allegations came out, I might have forgotten. But I was more thinking about like. I, I'm thinking about it now, but during the movie, I'm just thinking about the aforementioned Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets, which not a good movie. Uh, looked like a movie that cost $225 million, but it only made $225 million, which is a problem when you spend $225 million on a movie. And so it's like between w- – when that happens, I'm like, man, like shouldn't this guy be in movie jail? Like, I mean obviously you should, and guys don't go to movie jail in the same way female directors do, and it's – wrong and it shouldn't be the case but i'm just like i'm just thinking about that the whole time it's like man like this guy just like made some massive bomb we're still giving him the money to like make this movie uh to be fair it wasn't as big of a budget as i thought but like how many people like get to like make original movies with 30 million dollar budgets like not that many people do so it's like we're giving this guy like a lot of rope here when he one like bombed in his last movie and two is like 
uh, might just be a terrible person. Now it was just like I just had that weighing on me like the whole time on top of the other issues the movies had. So that was probably that that definitely affected my viewing experience. Yeah, um, he's always had his movies have always had a weird complex with having supposedly strong female characters, but also overly sexualizing and fetishizing them. Uh, and Anna just takes that, like, you know, the, it's a spy movie where the girl is like basically a honey trap. Yeah. There's a couple scenes where she's, you know, an action heroine who's kicking ass. And, but most, for the most time, she's just having sex with every guy. So, she, 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 she likes to have sex with women too, but she'll have sex with just about every male character in the movie. Yeah, it's it's uncomfortable. And, you know, that thing that you were talking about at the beginning where, like, you know, we're given all this pathos and motivation for Cillian Murphy. I mean, it doesn't make sense in a movie called Anna starring a lady named Anna to go and begin the movie by, I don't know, like explaining Cillian Murphy's motivation when he's a character who only comes into her story halfway through. It doesn't make a lot of sense. The la- the finale of the movie ends up being her reconciling with the two men in her life when we know that she has a strong motivation of her own to, you know, leave this life behind and take control of her life. I it doesn't make sense. There's too heavy. I don't she's she's an object. She's kind of just treated like an object. I'm not going to lie. It's uncomfortable. Already it's uncomfortable looking at his past work and it's also uncomfortable knowing the accusations against him. I agree on all that. You want to know what I do think a big missed opportunity for the movie was? And that would be we just we, we just I, we don't need to rehash it all. We just talked about a lot of the wasted motion that this movie had and how clearly a lot of this stuff that's in the first what it's a two hour movie, a lot of the stuff in the first hour and a half could have you could have just not had. And you probably could have spent more time with the Helen Mirren character because I think we both did like her, uh mm. what what we got to know about her and just like actually it's kind of implied that like uh it, well I think it's implied that, like, at first she's very skeptical of whether or not Anna can be an asset, and then she really values her as an asset, but we don't actually know if she actually likes her at all. And then all of a sudden at the end, she's willing to, like, spoiler alert, people, you can go away now because we haven't really spoiled anything. But uh, um, I don't really think anyone's going to be listening to this that hasn't seen it because, yeah. And by by the time they do listen to it, it might be out of theaters because it's going to have made so little money. But, yeah, go away now if you don't want – go away now if you don't want to spoil it for you. But basically what I'm – what. My my thought was like, well, I actually kind of like this twist at the end. I like how she's actually teaming up with her to stab this asshole director of the KBG in the back and put her in charge. Like that's kind of cool that like they're gonna come together. But I think that would have like felt like a much better, more fulfilling, rewarding payoff if like we had had a few more scenes where they're actually like showing some level of mutual respect for each other, as opposed to it being such a one way relationship where it doesn't really seem like Helen Mirren actually cares about her at all. She just wants to use her. Yeah, I think that their relationship is certainly the most interesting relationship in the film. But considering that the others include her falling for Cillian Murphy after meeting him like once and her him threatening her. Yeah. Um, and I get Luke is Evans' she falling weird for him, introduction. Though? Is she falling I, for him? You know, I, I feel I like the movie think... does try and imply that there's a little more there than her just using him. But I'm not yeah, really sure. The movie, the movie is definitely implying that there's more there. It's just that, you know. He's not – this guy isn't great at writing, like, relationships right. between characters uh, and certainly not ones where it's one man and one woman. Uh, it, you know, he seems to believe that just watching them have sex is enough to, <laughs> you know, build a sort of relationship between the two and it's and it's not. 
but yeah, certainly the relationship between um, Anna and Helen Mirren is great. And I would have, if the whole movie had been about this relationship between this, you know, girl taken off the streets, given a chance to become something more, and then this woman in a position of authority who has done what she's done. And I think there's an interesting, uh, there's something interesting there. It's just Luc Besson is the guy to do it because this is a man who doesn't really get subtlety and never really has. No, I, I agree. It's, uh, you know, it's unfortunate, you know, and I don't know, I, I'm, it's hard to say now, like, as I pick apart everything, you know, maybe I would have been just as hard on it if I hadn't had, if we hadn't had Red Sparrow and Atomic Bomb the last two years, but those are just so clearly better movies. And because they chose to make a movie with such similar subject matter, who knows, maybe you had the idea for this movie well beforehand, but sucks to suck, buddy. Like you had this movie come out literally being the third in, in a line of three movies with extremely similar subject matter. And, uh, I, I, I just couldn't help but think about the other things that those movies did better. And that probably just didn't hurt did, or that probably only hurt, uh, Anna in my estimation. So, um, I, you know, I, I think we're both in agreement that Red Sparrow is probably the best of those three movies actually. Uh, but I'll admit that I don't, I don't remember Red Sparrow too well. I just know that I walked out of it thinking that was a good movie. And I walked out of Atomic Blonde thinking, what was that? Well, that know, being said, Atomic Blonde does have higher highs. Yeah, I'd agree. And I actually looked back at my letterbox reviews and I gave Atomic Blonde a, like a four stars and Red Sparrow three and a half. But like I came out of Red Sparrow just like probably just feeling a little better about the, the ending, even if Atomic Blonde does a lot of other things at a higher level. Um, regardless, like they're both just like they're just they're just both better than Anna. And like Red Sparrow is yeah. like, really familiar, really similar in that you're like Atomic Blonde. Like it's kind of like thrown in there at the end that like. I think it's a little more tacked on, if I remember correctly, with, like, the John Goodman character and uh, her, like, actually having been working for the Americans for part of it. And um, that, it goes back and forth a lot, whereas the, the the American presence throughout is much more similar in Red Sparrow and Anna. But, like, I just I just cared more about that Joel Edgerton character in that relationship with Jennifer Lawrence. It I don't know. It, it, it just did more for me. And I you actually kind of cared about her as you saw her go through her training. And I don't know. I, I just thought it did a much better job of setting it up. And maybe part of that's just because of the, the linear storytelling. I don't know, but I don't know. It, it just definitely had more of an effect on me, and I was more invested in those characters. And I um, I guess, therefore, the twist ending felt more earned. Yeah, I don't know. Do you have any other thoughts on this one? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I think we covered it. It's a movie that doesn't have – I don't have much to say about, and what I do is hardly positive. Uh, if you're in the mood for a you know, recent spy movie about a – woman who ends up in a web of conspiracy during the cold war then yeah you've got two other choices and both are better you know what's also weird about this was like i got that it was the kgb but i wasn't like totally sure like when it was taking place oh yeah there's a there's a whole lot of anachronisms and it doesn't seem to have a really good sense of time and setting i guess the kgb in some form i'm guessing it did survive after the uh fall of the soviet union right i don't know i i mean this takes place before the fall of the soviet union but it's it takes like, place it's like, in i think 89 90 but it's like it's a, I, I, I figured so but at the same time like they all have like they didn't have like fancy iphones or anything like that but they had like the cell phones seem more prevalent than i'd ever seen them before like little yeah, flip phones. they have cell phones at the end of the movie there's like a video camera high hd video camera on the lady's computer and there's I'm a computer like, with you... like a flash drive did we have flash drives in the 80s where you could just plug a flash drive into a laptop like i don't 
I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's the fact that there was an HD camera on this lady's laptop made me go, all right, so he doesn't, he just doesn't care. He just doesn't care. So much of the technology just felt post uh, Cold War, you know, um, that I just, I was like, huh, I don't know. Yeah, that's it, which is another thing. Like, it looks the part. Uh, of a you know spy thriller, but it's it doesn't have a great sense of setting. No, 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 no. And, and just the I, I, that was just another thing that was just weighing on my mind because they didn't really pay attention to those details throughout. Uh, I think Atomic Blonde definitely like uh, is is a very flashy movie, but I think at least gets some of that that kind of stuff right. And so does yeah. Red Sparrow. Um, yeah. And and you know I, I think I, I, we 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 touched on that. And the one other thing I'll say is that we touched on that just the, the sexualization of this these characters and um, and how it is a common theme throughout some of his movies. And I don't you know it doesn't have to feel like kind of exploitative maybe in the way that it does in this where it's just like it seems like like you said he just kind of wanted to see this actress like have to be in a bunch of sexual situations. And you know I, I don't know I think Atomic Blonde like did a better job of that. Maybe not the maybe not the like the the best best job in the world but you know i think it i don't i don't even know if i don't think that character actually has hooks up with any guys in atomic bond um maybe just the just the sophia butella character maybe but i mean it it it, it, maybe it because it takes a little more time to like have those characters connect and whereas here it's just like understood that she's going to be with the first female model that looks at her i I just think he if he really wanted to put in the work he could have and he just didn't and there's a way to have a sex positive movie that shows her uh wielding her just her sexuality in a way to her advantage throughout the spy game but instead it's just like yeah every time she sees Luke, luke evans they're gonna bone and that's just basically it. And there's really not a lot of context for what they like about each other or how they are connecting. Because I think, like you said, I think the movie actually wants you to think that she really genuinely likes these guys as opposed to mm. just using them. At least that's what, how I kind of read it, the way that she at least was talking to them. And or especially I thought the Luke Evans character, in my opinion, like they were trying to show that like she really did like him. Uh, and, yeah. And, and, and if that wasn't the case, then I don't think they made it clear. Just one of a number of different things this movie doesn't get right. Yep. All right, man. So no other final points? That that covers it for you? (laughs) Yeah, that covers it. Not good. Yeah, uh, I agree. I think, uh, you know, as much as I, actually, one other thing, I, I keep saying I'm going to wrap it up. But one other thing, the I, we both like that Helen Mirren character, but, you know, I think, and I actually do like Killian Murphy, and I agree, though Luke Evans was there. You know, one thing that the Atomic Blonde did have that this didn't was like the, that James McAvoy performance is like really fun. And I'm going to be honest with you, I don't remember it at all. I uh, remember really? he was in it. I remember he was in it. Uh, he I was don't on remember. One. He played a, a total dirtbag guy that's just kind of there throughout the movie, like as like another operative she's supposed to kind of be working with. But he's uh, uh, um, okay. Well, maybe it didn't leave an impression on you, but it's like that's <laughs> one thing that could have just helped this movie. If there was like a presence like that, and it, it definitely did not have that. Even if I do generally like Killian Murphy when he shows up and things, so you know, sometimes a bad movie like this you can at least like be salvaged by a couple performances. And again, like yeah, she might have been better than your average like model pulled off the street. Maybe would have been expected to, but there's there's no like performance that truly like transcends the movie in a way that it's like oh i can at least grab grab onto that you know and that's, yeah i agree with that uh, helen mirren does her best but right no. even for these movies that are like 27 percent of rotten tomatoes you might usually find one thing like that to like be like oh cool at least i had fun with that and there's, there's not even something of that nature with here and i that's unfortunate but yeah so i'm glad we uh finally talked about a movie that was like 
really bad, but you know, like last year I invited you on the podcast at the end of the year to talk about the best movies under 60 or 50% on the tomato meter. And there are like really bad ones that I hadn't heard of. And the first time I invite you to really talk about one of these bad ones, you don't even like it. So yeah, so now we're here, but, uh, oh, well, uh, before we uh, get off, Daniel, I, I know you might've had something else you wanted to plug for the, for the listeners for recommendation corner. Well, I have not been watching too many movies. Uh, I've seen some good stuff. Babylon, which is a 1980 British movie about Jamaicans living in uh, Bristol. That's a great one. Kazam, the uh, movie where Shaq's a genie. That's a good one. That's a good one. Don't believe what people say. That's a good movie. Fun. But I, what I just got into yesterday, actually, I had purchased uh, uh, Sleeping Dogs, the the video game from uh, I think Square Enix, uh, it was meant to be a another entry into the true crime GTA clone series, but ended up you know undergoing a lot of changes and all. It ended up becoming this uh, open world sandbox uh, action game where you play an undercover cop in Hong Kong who's going after some drug lords or. Something or other. I honestly have only played a couple hours. (laughs) (laughs) I only played a couple hours of it, but it does a really good job in creating this cinematic sense where you're in a Hong Kong action movie where there's triads and high flying action. The hand to hand combat is wonderful. Uh, Yeah, I it's like playing a John Woo movie. It it well, I suppose that if you want to really play a John Woo movie, I guess Stranglehold, which was the sequel to the John Woo movie Hard Boiled, that'd probably be the way to go. But this is a close second. It's a lot of fun. Gotcha. Okay, so this is a video game podcast now. <laughs> uh, everyone, uh, I, I I appreciate everyone uh, taking the time to listen. I appreciate Daniel joining us. As usual, I'm at Josh Chernovoy, J O S H J U R N O V O Y, and on on Twitter and Letterbox and and the podcast <laughs> Twitter is the Rewind Movie Pod. So uh, everyone, check that out. Uh, coming up next on the podcast, we'll talk about yesterday and. I don't know. Maybe something else. I, I, I'm not sure Ooh, what else you're is doing on. yesterday. I am doing yesterday with my friend Adam is big Beagle, Beatles fan. So uh, excited about that. I'm not really sure what else is coming out in the immediate future before Spider-Man Homecoming the following weekend. So everyone, though, stay tuned for that. We will we'll see you next time.